This podcast is sponsored by Meridian. For custom integrators, it's all about the performance. We get that at Meridian. That's why we craft high-res audio solutions, purpose-built for integrators, that put the listener right at the heart of the performance. High-res audio, engineered for you, built by Meridian. It's the future of sound. Hello and welcome to The Integrated Home, a podcast produced by the Home Integration Community for the Home Integration Community. My name is Jeff Hayward and every month we'll be examining the business issues facing the industry. Today we're looking at the integrator business model. How has it changed? Where is it going? How should businesses adapt to meet customer expectations? And what new market opportunities are out there and worth exploring? Or is it just a case of keep on trying and carry on as usual? In the week that Home Farm on the Arches is criticised by an estate agent for not being techy enough, we're going to be talking about smart homes in the media. Besides the Arches, are consumer magazines and national newspapers interested in the professionally integrated smart home? Do they understand what we do? And if they do understand it, what excites them? How can integrators be waving flags for their business in front of the media? Or will print soon be gone? And is it all about having a great social profile today? Welcome to The Integrated Home. Four musical references in that intro from a nautical indie band that links perfectly into our location today. Where can we be? Well, we're in Admiralty Arch, above the entrance to the Mall in London. Commissioned by King Edward VII in 1910 as a tribute to the power of the British Navy, this impressive structure was designed by Sir Aston Webb, who renovated the facade of Buckingham Palace, no less. Whilst British sea power may no longer be the force that it once was, clue to the band, our hosts, Prime Investors Capital, are transforming Admiralty Arch into a vibrant new luxury hotel. We are in the living area of the Mountbatten Suite, which is, in fact, one of the most prestigious media rooms I've ever had the privilege to sit in. Music courtesy of pod sponsor Meridian Audio. Later in the show, we're going to be talking smart homes in the media with two renowned technology journalists, But first, I'm joined by Rob Sutherland, Principal of Award-Winning Integrator Inspired Dwellings. Welcome, Rob, to The Integrated Home. Hello there. So for those listening who don't know you, can you just give listeners a quick insight into your background and business? Well, to follow on the nautical theme, I started my working life as a boat builder. Having decided that there perhaps wasn't a long-term career in boat building, I had an opportunity to work for a friend in an IT company and subsequently spent 20 years in corporate IT. In the meantime, my wife had started working on small developments and I could see that there was beginning to be a convergence between what people were wanting in their homes and what the corporate world was delivering and with the internet it kind of all converged into a potential business idea. And hence Uh, Inspired Dwellings was born. And hence Inspired Dwellings was born. So when was that? How long ago was that? We've been running for just under 12 years now. So that takes us back into the mid-2000s. I'd imagine things have changed pretty dramatically since you started Inspired Dwellings. Yes, I think they have. But when we started, the systems we built weren't particularly connected. There wasn't any particular amount of streaming. We were just at the beginning of Sonos and the world of Sonos. And I think I could see that there was going to be convergence between the streaming world and the internet and media being delivered through the internet. But I wasn't quite sure how quickly it would arrive. I thought perhaps a 10, 15-year horizon and it happened in under eight years. With the advent of the iPhone 
and Apple bringing music via iPods and so on. So it's technology that's been one of the major drivers for how the business has evolved. Yes, it has, and definitely. And, and technology has driven it and the desire of the user to consume technology. Our starting point of a, any contact with a new customer is how, as a family, because we generally deal with families, is how do you consume technology as a family? You know, are you a, an Apple family or an Android family? And generally that drives how the technology they want to have in their house is delivered. And so looking forwards, what do you think might be the big things that will change things for you in the future as a business? Is it easy to anticipate what's coming next? I don't think it's especially easy at all. Mm. Um, I think the one thing that we have noticed is that the adoption span of who is wanting technology has broadened. It, when we started, it was quite a sharp pinnacle with you know people who wanted technology in their homes at the top or unusual, whereas when we go to meetings with our customers now, it's quite often they're telling us what they want rather than I want to have. You know, I want great broadband, Wi-Fi throughout the house, I want multi-room audio, and then we're helping them explore what they want rather than telling them what they could have. So the customer is much more informed. Yes, I think the customer is much better informed than they used to be. And that presents us with separate challenges. Our customers can quite comfortably go and find out a lot of the headline products when we present them with a, a proposal for a system. Quite often you'll get, not always, but you get questions back about, you know, that TV seems rather expensive because they've been on to John Lewis or they've been on to Amazon and Googled the price. And how do you get around that sort of barrier? We're quite open about it. If somebody says, well, I can buy it much cheaper on Amazon, by all means go and buy it cheaper on Amazon then. What more often than not happens is that when it actually comes to the purchasing part of the programme, we then say can you please supply the TVs? And they come back and say, well, how much did you want to charge for them? And there's a little bit of haggling and goes on. And actually, is your customer who's working in the city better off spending two hours trading futures or buying TVs on Amazon? Yeah, fair point. (laughs) So in terms of the balance of the work that you do, we've talked about how technology changes. What about customers? Has there been a shift in the balance of the work that you do, for instance, for designers, developers and private clients? When we started uh, Inspire Dwellings, we thought that we were going to be very much a business-to-consumer business, and actually what we are is a pure business-to-business business. Our work comes through referral from architects and designers. You know, an architect will be working on a house, and part of his tick list of questions to ask the customer is, what are you doing about technology? And at that point, he will bring, having brought in a selection of consultants to deal with um, the engineering and the heating and cooling and so on of the building we're now on the list of consultants to bring in and the architects we work with regularly and designers that we work with realize that although they don't necessarily like what we do as in interior designers don't like seeing tvs on the wall what they do like is happy customers who get what they want so you can create a beautiful room but if you can't have a tv in it it's not a great sitting room for some people And do you think a lot of integrators are in that same space or do you think there are a lot of businesses that still just deal direct with high-end clients or, or mid-range clients even? It's not that we don't deal with those types of customer, but they come through different routes. I think it's more the description about whether we were a business-to-business or a business-to-consumer market was more description of how our, our route to our customer. Mm. We thought that we would be selling direct to customers and actually we still sell to customers but our introduction route is slightly different to where we thought we would, would be. 
Which actually is a pretty good place, I'd imagine, because the designers and architects have got multiple clients that they can refer you to, and yes. so um, it makes business it, generation quite straightforward. Absolutely. If we do a good job, you know, building houses is not hassle-free. And one of my business aims has always been to not be the point of friction or, or aggro on a project. We work very hard to be ahead of the game. If somebody says, can you do it tomorrow? We work very hard to do it tomorrow if we can, <laughs> because that makes the project work smoothly. So there's plenty of other people who can delay a building project. It doesn't need to be the AV guys. And would you, would you still say that you're very much a, a, a design or a contracting business, or would you say there's a lot more service and maintenance now involved in what you do? Having been running for a reasonable amount of time now, what we've actually found is that the customers that we started off with are coming back to us for new projects. So I got a call on the way to this, this podcast saying from one of our customers who we dealt with, I think probably seven years ago, I'm moving house, I'm moving out of my family house, I'm downsizing to a slightly smaller house, I've got a bunch of technology, what can I do to take that technology out of that house and bring it into my new house? You know, Which bits can I use, which bits need updating and that is becoming ever more frequent in our conversation. Whereas when we started, we we're always looking for and chasing new customers. So I suppose the focus of our business has become more on the, the service and maintenance side of it in that we are working in really quite long-term relationships with our customers. And in terms of market sectors, are you still all about residential or do you find yourself diversifying into other spaces too? So doing my homework for this... <laughs> <laughs> this, I, 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 had a look at, I had a look at who we work for and ultimately we still do, I think the majority of our work is with individual high-end residential work. We pick and choose which development work we do. We try not to answer every tender because tenders are difficult to win. What we try to do is get in at the design stages of, of, of projects and work through them rather than trying to nick jobs off Joe down the road. And still mostly homes, not too much in hospitality or doing the occasional restaurant and hotel or how's it, how's it? So we are working in a small, it's a sort of air, Airbnb type, medium rental type hospitality project where the key things they wanted out of it was access control and they wanted a, a non-present concierge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're using technology to provide that and they wanted to be able to give the user instant Wi-Fi. Okay, so where where do you think business opportunities might lie ahead? I mean, there's been a lot of talk about healthcare, for example, or home healthcare being part of what a, a CDM member's toolkit should be. I, I think, I think for for the certainly the immediate future, our business is going to remain in residential. Um, we might spread outside of the UK. We do one or two projects a year outside the UK. I would probably want to look for more projects outside the UK because of the uncertain times within the UK economy uh, or potential uncertain times when we don't really know where it's going Mm. Um, but I personally don't think there's a great future in I think that you know healthcare in the home is is a is a holy grail that perhaps isn't achievable Mm. Um, but it does seem that our customers want more and more technology and you know quite often the conversations start with can I get better wi-fi than my bt router sitting in the front room Mm. Yes, you can. How much of the house would you like covered? Well, Mm. I'd like the whole house. And then can I manage that Wi-Fi access? So can I stop my children from viewing YouTube at 2 o'clock in the morning? Yes, you can. And, you know, parental control and all the kind of the good things that come off the back of that. There's a distinct sense, I think, that 
technology is becoming much more mainstream and probably the days when we talk about smart home might actually be, well, we'll just talk about home. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that the, the smart home will become more pervasive. I think that one of the challenges of the smart home in, we're based in West London, and in West London the housing stock is quite old and traditional. And the challenge with the smart home is introducing that into a West London house is that generally you have to smart home your house. It's, it's quite difficult to retrofit quite a lot of these things. It actually, you need to be working on a refurbishment, which is why our route to market is through architects and designers, because they're generally working on refurbishments and upgrades to houses. And you still need to run quite a lot of cable into the right places. And I, I think the types of cable will change. So maybe some of the cable will change from copper to fibre optic going forwards. But I think will, there will be degrees of smart home. I went to look at a, a home last week and it was a, a new build. It was a completely passive home. So they, he required next to no heating, additional heating. Everything was controlled through an app on his phone. It was the ultimate James Bond mm. house. But there was a huge amount of technology behind it. And it's not necessarily for everyone. I don't think that particular example of a smart home is what many people would want. And looking at the future, and for your business, are you broadly optimistic about what the future holds? I am. I'm excited and passionate about technology. I like it, and I like talking to people about technology and the fringe benefits that I get to look at some beautiful homes. And if there was somebody listening to the podcast who's thinking about getting into the market, obviously as somebody who's been in it for 12 years now, any advice that you would offer? It's not quite as easy as it looks. Perfect. The Integrated Home Podcast. Okay, it's hot seat time. Rob, you've now got 30 seconds to answer as many questions as you can from this list. Are you ready? Yep. Okay, here we go. Number one, who do you most admire in the industry? Haggai Finer. Fishing or Formula One? Fishing. The first gig you went to? Uh, Frank Zappa. Best movie clip to demo to a client? Art of Flight. Skiing or sailing? Both. (laughs) At the same time? Different times of the year. (laughs) The best thing about running an integration business? You get to meet some really interesting people. And the worst? You get to meet some really interesting people. (laughs) The Times or the FT? FT. Nice one. Right, now it's time to talk the media and smart homes. Rob is sticking with us to offer the integrator's perspective on this part of the conversation. But I'm delighted to say that we have two exceptional tech writers with us on the pod today. First up is Chris Haslam, who's written on smart home technology for Wired, The Rob Report, and many, many other publications, including most recently the June issue of Grand Designs. Get your copy now if you're not too late. And next to Chris is Jonathan Margolis, veteran. Can I say veteran? You can say veteran. Thank you. I might kill you, but... Thank you. Veteran writer about all things smart home and AV for the FT, How to Spend It, and numerous other organisations. Gentlemen, welcome to the pod. Hi there. Nice to be here. First of all, how are those intros? In in the spirit of editorial integrity, I feel I should give you the right to reply. Uh, Yes, uh, it's pretty spot on. Uh, Few omissions, in case my editors are listening. Ideal Home, do a lot of the tech stuff for those guys. Good Homes as well, plus quite a few of the staple tech titles such as T3. Very good. Jonathan? I'll run through my career starting back in 1980. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I've been doing um, consumer tech since 1991. 
when I did a weekly column for the Evening Standard and some weeks there wasn't anything launched at all, which made things a bit tricky. So you had to stash things away like a hamster to make sure you had something for each week. Now it's not such a problem, as you can imagine. And the first smart home I did seriously was in 1997 when I went to see a man in Liverpool who had everything there was available at that time. And as we were leaving, he said, I've just got to lock up. And he was fiddling with keys. And I said, why haven't you got central locking? And he said, damn, <laughs> I never thought of that. Fantastic. So what sort of stuff are you writing about at the moment that's smart home related? Um, I can't do a feature at the moment without having to talk about voice control and all its many guises and new applications. There's an awful lot of audio to talk about as well. Multi-room being particularly interesting to, well, to a, a real cross-section not just the interiors lot trying to get rid of cable clutter, but also those people looking to see whether hi-fi can sound good streamed. But then everybody wants to know about things like video doorbells, vacuum cleaners. So the gadgety side of things is still very popular. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. What about you, Jonathan? Because you're a bit of an audiophile. Um, I don't look specifically for smart home stuff. And if I do, it's, I'm more interested in products that have got a beginning, a middle and an end. So I'm quite excited now because I've almost never done a bathroom product, partly because most of the things I have to do, I have to try and test, and re-plumbing the bathroom every you know, week would be a bit problematic. So I drove up to Bedfordshire to see a smart shower installation, an app-controlled shower thing, which is a um, new product from Israel. And I was massively impressed by it, because it's voice-controlled as well, because like uh, Chris, you know, we're all looking for voice-control stuff, and you can just lie in bed and say, Turn my shower on, please, to my settings. And the only problem, obviously, is if somebody left the shower door open the night before, it can cause a, a flood. But it, it was very, very impressive, and I, I wanted that. And, and would you say that um, editors are still interested, then, in smart homes as a, as a concept, as a story? Oh, more, more so than ever, absolutely. And that goes beyond the kind of the jumping-off point is obviously the little products and the things that you get on your Christmas lists. But every few months, I will be asked to do something that's a little bit more involved, that does involve some of the bigger systems and the integration, um, because fundamentally, that's still the, the pinnacle of it. Everything else is playing catch up. So what is it that really excites them, do you think, Jonathan? I'm in a different position. I, I have pretty much control over my own output. The only thing, and this is not a joke, they will sometimes say is, look, we're looking at the page and it looks great, but have you got something blue to put in place of the whatever? So the aesthetics are really all they particularly care about. The only editorial control imposed on me is on headphones because of the crazy number of headphones coming out. I'm restricted to one headphone every two or three editions. And also generally, if I can find something that's not audio, I'll get very <laughs> excited. Just, you know, I love, you know, as you said, I'm a bit of a file and I love audio, but there's a limit, well, first of all, to how many ways you can describe a pair of headphones and uh, more more seriously to just the, the, the amount of stuff. We want to have a good spread of things. So if somebody comes to me with, uh, I got very excited because there's a company in Texas that make a kind of a quarter scale radio controlled Land Rover Defender licensed by Land Rover, which is extraordinary. So I thought, oh, that's completely different. It's a real toys for boys thing. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, another smart home, they will never come to me and say, can you do a smart home? But 
recently when uh, I was offered the daddy of all smart homes, a place in Manchester, which the piece de resistance was a revolving McLaren on a platform, plus a few other things. They got very excited about that to the point where it was a cover story in the magazine and then they did a, an annual best of how to spend it and it was the cover story in that as well. Wow. So they would not say we want lots of stuff on smart homes, but if I can come up with the wilder shores of smart homes, they'll grab it. Is that the same for you, Chris? Do you think editors look for that kind of wild part of the industry? There's always, with, I think with any subject across anything really, wow factor plays such an important part. Um, I, sadly... I'm slightly more constrained with my uh, editorial freedom than Jonathan. And there's points at which I'll be told, no, that's bonkers. No, that's a £2 million install. That's too much for our readers. And when you try and explain, well, actually, but it's about the product or the future or what you'll be seeing in five years' time, it takes quite a long time for that to settle in. And then in two years' time, when you come back to them and say, remember that thing you didn't let me do? Well, this is a 1500 quid version. But on a month-by-month basis, it's about variety. I could never get more than one of the same thing on a page unless I was doing a roundup of mm. certain types of product. Uh, when it comes to custom install, you're looking at probably two, three features a year in any given title. So you extend that over quite a few titles. And you've got to keep your paper quite dry for that because there are so many exceptional examples that come out. And so you can't, you can't go throwing those around, because otherwise you are, you're, you're left with sort of 1990s worth of tech to talk about. Yeah. And when you get the information from, presumably you get marketing people within integrators contacting you saying, oh, I've got this project or that project or whatever, as well as PR people. What sort of things do you look for that are really going to spark your interest? What, what makes it easy for you to work with projects? Time and time and time again, I will go back to any company, and that's a huge global organisation and a little startup, and say, have you got any other pictures? Right. Have you got any other pictures? There's, or I'm always looking for a shot that I know will get through any editor. And that isn't necessarily focusing on the thing that the brand wants to focus on. It's focusing on uh, the interior or focusing on the feel of a piece. And it's something that I talk to a lot of brands about in terms of getting that image right. And get it right, and you can see some examples in Hi-Fi of companies that do pretty good stuff but sell an absolute shed load of products because their images hit a market that their competitors don't. And that makes such a difference. So is that your biggest bugbear of photography? Um, it's my biggest challenge. Uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes with custom install shots, you'll get a picture of a, a home cinema, for instance, and there'll still be a pot of paint in the corner of the room or there'll be a ladder still up because it's the installer taking a picture as they're leaving because that's the access that they can have to the property. And when they've finished, that's it. Now, if they were able to go back when everything is bedded in and there were cushions on the sofa, those shots will sell their cinema system a hell of a lot better than the quick pics on the iPhone on the way out the door. Does that sound familiar to you? Familiar in, in a different way. I mean, the problem I have is that the artistic, and I keep coming back to this, the art desk constraints are the pictures have to be of a discrete object, no hands, no background, white background, just a cut-out shot. And, you know, it's been like that since 1997 when the magazine started and they're not going to change it now. And it looks very good and glossy. The difficulty is that if you have essentially a hidden product 
like a concealed speaker, we're stuffed. There's nothing we can do. You know, I've heard some wonderful systems. I've said there's nothing to photograph. I did one incredibly wacky French system which involved these kind of red carbon fibre balls that hang from the ceiling, about 10 of them in a room. So it's like a, a 10, one, whatever you call it, system. And it's, it sounds extraordinary. And it, that was the only time we ever used a room picture because they supplied one, because we normally take our own, they supplied one of a very wacky flat in Paris with these orbs floating in, from the ceiling. So they went for that, but it's extremely unusual. And the other thing is, you know, I have to echo Chris there, that occasionally if there's something like, I don't know, a massive fridge or um, uh, we did one on a, um, a executive jet once where taking it to the studio, it was not really on. So we had to use supplied. And it's amazing, again, how many manufacturers will send you like a you know, 500 kilobyte quickly snatch picture and you say, have you got the tiffs of that? Uh, I say, well, no, I haven't really got that. And you think if you're launching a product in which you spent millions of pounds, you get a photographer to do some halfway decent pictures. What about you, Rob? I mean, you, you've dealt with the media. You've had stuff printed in the Sunday Times on occasion, I know, and you must have some sort of experience of what it's like dealing with journalists. I think it's the... They always want a nice picture. Yeah. <laughs> they want a nice picture that doesn't reflect necessarily the, the technology. And that's the big challenge we have, is how to get what we do across and the, the simplicity of its delivery but the complexity of its of the back end of it across in a way that doesn't come across as a jumble of wires and a, and a mess. It's one of those things that I'm a journalist I never get given enough words obviously but within sort of the interiors press in particular the ability to describe what is going on in the in the image is so important I mean the countless number of times I've started a feature saying Imagine pushing a button and the projector drops and the screen comes out and the lights dim and yada, yada, yada. And we all know that scenario. The amount of times that gets used, and that is the pull quote within a feature. Mm. Because, as you say, there is so much more to it so than we, the picture. But it has, one has to back the other up. And it's, that's a, one of the battles that I have all the time. But also the things I think you guys don't get, and why should you get it, is that the brevity of what we have to say is, you know, and the FTs are fairly sophisticated audience I get four products on a page the top one is 330 words the others are 220 oh, you're words. lucky with yeah. 330 no it's really hard it's really hard because I, you know I mean I just went to see a fantastic product in Norway last week and there was really no need it, it's five sentences and all they're looking for is a picture we keep coming back to that and just a kind of an over you know what are the benefits of this why would you spend three and a half thousand pounds on this system rather than buy a one for 200 pounds and to get the reasons in i mean they, they brought the designer over from sweden they bought it was like a massive thing and the, the original itinerary was two days which i managed to cut down to a day but it was still hugely over the top why not you know you want to show your thing off in the best light but you have to bear in mind that even for my audience most of what you've got to say is voodoo as far as they're concerned <laughs> and they really just want to say it sounds nice, it looks nice, it comes from a great company. So we try and get around that. We use professional photographers. You know, if there's a projector lift, we talk about the projector lift and yeah. the pictures, images of the projector dropping down. Mm. Or if there's a masking screen, you talk about the moving bits and pictures of the moving bits rather yeah. than the incredible pixel quality that the projector produces. Yeah. 
because those are the bits you can actually show. Seems to me that one of the challenges as well is that what the integrator wants to show is about a service. It's not about the products, it's mm. about a solution, you know, mm. cliched phrase, but that's what it is. And maybe the printed page where you can look at a nice room but everything's concealed isn't necessarily doing justice to the story. We, we try and focus on the, the end user's experience. So what's it like to use? Well, it's a home cinema, it's a great place to go and watch a movie and not worry about the fantastic picture quality or the that's taken as given. It's just an easy experience. You walk into the room, you pick up a clever remote, press a button, and, and you can watch your favourite film. And it's an easy user experience is the thing we try and focus on, which is probably even harder to write about. The other constraint is novelty. It's got to be novel. And the novelty can be quite a subtle thing. I mean, there's a company I love, and I've written about them twice because they're based on an island off Estonia. And that's just enough to give it a tiny bit of a lift above the ordinary. Um, I mean, the products are okay. They're quite nice, but very expensive. But it's just the, the provenance. And you guys being in that crescent of England, which is all you know, hi-fi and, and audio, which I like referring to, silicon fen and all that. Um, <laughs> I think, but I think a lot of our customers, out of all the things we do for them, the thing they want is Wi-Fi. And the conversations are quite often start off with, what do you want in your house? Well, actually, great Wi-Fi would be, would be wonderful. I don't want a, a box in the corner of the front room that doesn't come for the rest of the house. Can I have Wi-Fi across the whole house? Yes, of course you can. And from that come the other things. Isn't that one of the fundamentals that the media probably doesn't focus enough on because we're having to talk to a much wider audience? That you know, OK, so the idea of I don't care what it does as long as it does it when I need to do it and my budget is reasonably bottomless so I can get it done. Whereas a lot of people who pick up magazines or read magazines or read print media or, or websites for that matter are interested in the new and inspiration and aspiration. And actually custom home stuff gives that aspiration. But it's the kind of the smaller products that tend to draw people into actually experiencing it before they move on to the bigger picture. Yes, that's exactly right. It's the Wi-Fi. It's almost the inconsequential thing. Yeah. It's taken as given. But if you don't have your Wi-Fi across the whole house, most people climb the wall. Yeah. How would you do your jobs without Wi-Fi? Yeah. Well, you may well ask, because my Wi-Fi sometimes works. <laughs> and would you say that print is really the right method to communicate what's great about the smart home world? It is if I want to get paid. But increasingly... What better way to show a projector and a cinema room working than with a video? It's a hugely profitable market. YouTube is no longer just about cat videos. And videos done very, very well can really draw in the idea of what's, what's being done in a room. Done badly as a walk around with some bloke with a remote, eh, not so much. But yeah, I think print is still extremely valid but there are so many ways to reinforce what you're doing. And, you know, the f first port of call of that is video. You're doing quite a lot of that, aren't you, Jonathan? Yeah, I do quite a lot of video. But again, I have to say the constraints, you know, a script for my three-minute video is, again, about 300 words. And even then, the director's saying, can you cut it down a bit? And it's just a couple of things. The problem is, the shorter it is, the more compelling it is. You know, I, I sometimes think I need at least three minutes for that. And when you see it edited down to two minutes... I think, well, there's nothing significant missing. The pull of the video is in inverse proportion to the length, basically. So if you could do something in 90 seconds, and if you look at, mm -hmm. you know, any of the things BBC Click does, what are they, 
uh, oh, the bite size. Yeah, stuff. They're, they're, yeah, they're very short, and it's mm. it's more effective. I mean, I'm a huge sucker for buying things on Instagram with a three second GIF, and I've got the microwave egg poacher and various <laughs> bags to show for it. Um, so you know, you, you can never you can never dismiss the the importance of brevity, which means leaving a whole chunk, almost all the detail out. It's just one fact, one textural feeling, one impression of what I felt about it, something interesting about the provenance. But for, for an inter- a small integration company, that's quite a challenge because actually yeah. to produce something that isn't a cat video mm. of something you've done that lasts less than two minutes, you spend a day creating it. Yeah, and yet the, and easily a day. And yet you, you, know, you, you all know that when you get those kind of you know, Americans who do their own home tech videos, and they are thought, I did like to see, well, well, this is what it was like opening the box and uh, get away there, you know, the dog is kind of coming in on the... Uh, <laughs> and it's the best way of getting to sleep if you uh, have trouble that way. It's a bite-sized world and it doesn't stop people buying you know, massive systems because once they get a taste of it, once they know one thing they can do with it, they'll start I, to get interested. I think that's a, a really important point we talked about before in the fact that everyone comes out with the concepts for these things but it's not always the thing that's top of the press release that the end user actually uses it for voice recognition stuff is is a ridiculously good example of that whereby every one of us sitting around here will have a different case use for a box in the corner of the room that will do something for you and that then becomes quite tricky i mean in custom custom install you've got you know, the fabled all-off button by the door or the, the on-button for your stereo that I mentioned earlier. It's horses for courses, and it's about, for us, it's about picking through all of those things to find something that may be different, which will irritate the brand, because that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this, but actually we're trying to find a point of difference for so many of the same concepts and the same pieces. I mean, here's, here is a classic way for anybody listening to understand how the media works, right? I had a... A couple of times I've featured products from a British audio company, which is quite nice. They've never kind of, you know, knocked my boots off, but sometimes they're just quite nice. And they said, we've moved to London, we've got a design studio in London, come in and see us. And I was kind of, yeah, you're all right. And I went in, they had, first of all, they'd actually set up one of the products they'd sent me and I hadn't even listened to yet. It'd been in a box for about a month. And I realised it actually really does sound extremely nice. Um, Then somehow in the conversation, it turned out that the guy who owns a company is the brother of a bloke in dire straits who's now Mark Knopfler's producer and in the conversation it turned out that Mark Knopfler takes this particular box on tour with him so whenever he sets up in a hotel room he puts this box you know on the in the hotel and they just without even realizing it talked their way into how to spend it because a it sounded nice it's reasonably expensive and it had a great name drop and it had a perfect name drop and you know, you can't always make that work. But if you've got a system and you happen to drop it to a journalist that Barack Obama bought one, then if you possibly can, I would do it. <laughs> I think that human element is really important from the custom install perspective. A lot of, Rob, your challenges are actually getting permission from the owner. That was, well, that was exactly my point. Is it, we work for, Sometimes we're lucky enough to work for people who are very well known the last thing they want to do is have their house talked about yeah of course and and also the problem is the people who are willing to you might not necessarily want to feature or they might not necessarily have actually paid you yet (laughs) 
<laughs> they might be looking for some kind of deal. We've had that from yes. time to time, yeah. I think when uh, George Clooney was buying a property in Berkshire, I had the contact from a national newspaper ring me up and say, do you know who's the integrator doing that, doing his house? And that, again, is kind of, well, if I did, I'm not going to tell you anyway, because, yeah. you know, it is a protective world, isn't it? Uh, and it's a, it's a protective world, and a lot of your work come through referral, and you don't get referrals if you're known to go and chat to the whole world yeah. or chat to journalists <laughs> about the, the, great, the great job you've done for so-and-so. For the mass media and you know, the lifestyle titles, that's a real draw without necessarily having to drop current names because the celebs tend to talk about their home cinemas quite a lot once they've got them because they're enjoying them. I think the idea that it's something that people who, you know, back to the, you know, the aspirational thing... If somebody you kind of look up to has something, or even the idea of it, it suddenly becomes a much bigger deal, and you're more likely to read about, or you're more likely to be interested in, well, why did they bother spending 100 grand on that? Or do you you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And I think actually part of this conversation has kind of made me think about some of the people we have worked for and how we can bring them into the conversations we have about what we've done in a way that doesn't splash their name across the t- in a great big title across the front of it yeah which you've got no control over because they might just run with it and say this is what madonna just bought from meridian i think another block in the road for you guys to get your message across is the differing perception we live in this bubble of beautiful tech and my brother kind of hangs out in quite a wealthy north london set and he was talking about a mutual friend of ours who's you know owns a chain of stores and my brother was saying, oh, he's gone crazy about hi-fi. He spent about 3,000 quid on a system. And I said, what, you mean like on the wires for the system? Or, and it was complete outside of his... He was unaware it's possible to spend even that much on a, on a... It's always the difficult thing about our projects is opening the conversation about how much would you like to spend. And it has to be how much would you like to spend, not... But that, that also is a lot, of, a lot of that wow factor. And the how much is what drives the titles that you're probably not actually going to get a lot of sales off the back of really like to talk about. Here's a cinema room. It costs, the screen alone cost X thousand. Wow, look at that. This is what you get. It's far more about this exists rather than sales a lot of the time, sadly. And that's where the entertainment aspect of it comes in. But the other thing, funnily, I've talked about name dropping as uh, Jeff was there. The, if the manufacturers do it too blatantly, we immediately lose interest. Like there's a brand of headphones called House of Marley, which somehow they've got, you know, the remains of Bob Marley have given their blessing to this, uh, to this <laughs> headphone brand. I don't know how that worked. And I just, every time I just think, nah, that's hor-. You know, it's actually supposedly signed off by... So if you, if you had a you know, fantastic Meridian system and you've got, you know, I don't know, a film star or something to say, this is the, you know, the Meridian Tom Cruise system... Everybody was like, ooh, that's so kind of American. It's awful. It's, you know. So we, well, they would still then go to the website. And what was that brand? And what was it? They, who was it? They would Google the brand and they would Google the person and see where they can connect yeah. to. Yeah, possibly. But it might put them off entirely. It's, it's one of those things where we want to find the interesting client you've had kind of through the back door. Hmm. And it's no use you saying, well, I mentioned it and the journalist didn't even look interested because we're trained not to look interested at the good bit. Train not to look interested. <laughs> On that note, thanks so much, chaps. That's been an illuminating conversation. I can categorically confirm that Meridian are not partnering with Tom Cruise, nor do they have plans to. 
So thank you to our guests, Rob, Chris and Jonathan, and thanks to our sponsor, The Magnificent Meridian Audio, and to Prime Investors for hosting the show here today at Admiralty Arch. Make sure you listen out next month for the Integrated Home Episode 4, which will be a design special ahead of the forthcoming London Design Festival. Remember, we're downloadable absolutely free from iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast and pretty much all your favourite podcast providers. The Integrated Home is a Wildwood and Alfie Media production. Yeah.